Welcome to Triumph and Disaster, a show dedicated to manly creativity and culture. Brought to you by your host, Cameron McHarg. Hey guys, how's it going? So this week we have Curtis Nelson, who is the actor and producer of a Harley Davidson commercial that I recently directed that I'm very proud of. It turned out pretty much exactly the way that, uh, that I'd hoped for, which is rare, which is a rare thing. Usually, you know, things go wrong and, you know, you have to deal with different catastrophes and this, this was, this, this was great. And so Curtis and I, um, actually go back a long time. We, um, we met when we were both, I was fresh off the bus. He had been here a little bit longer than me, but we met at Warner brothers <laughs> a million years ago, not long, like a, I don't know, maybe probably like a year after nine 11 or something when they were hiring a lot of uh, security guys there. And we were um, younger, new actors just trying to get a gig that would be somehow involved in some way. And uh, we've kept in touch ever since. And, um, so we made this commercial and uh, I went over to his place and he, he stoked up this cool fire in his backyard and uh, broke out some nice old scotch and it was great. But as a result of that, I forgot a bunch of names and stuff that I brought up. <laughs> like I was trying to think of um, John Cazal, who's one of my favorite actors. And for some reason I was calling him Sal. <laughs> That's scotch. So I couldn't think of his name. And uh, I couldn't think of uh, Richard Farnsworth's name, who's um, this actor who played the uh, older guy in The Straight Story, and he'd been around for a while. He was like a stepman turn actor. So I spaced it on a couple things, but I'm going to put everything up on the blog, triumphandisasterblog.com. And um, had a really good talk. Had a really, really good talk. And uh, hope you enjoy it. This is Curtis Nelson. Curtis, we've known each other a long time. Uh, so you guys can't see what's going on right now, but... We're in Curtis's backyard by this nice fire with uh, glasses of scotch. Couldn't be a better environment. And McCollum. I don't think we'll have any ghetto birds or uh, motorcycles <laughs> or shit like that. We've had another. This might be my actual first quiet episode. So, <laughs> so yeah, man, we've. Uh, let me take a sip of this real quick. Good stuff. All Ten right. years. It's the best way to start a talk. Is it? Ten years? Yeah. That is really good. Damn. Yeah, so, it's nice. We've known each other a long time, dude. It's funny how long we've known each other yeah, now. We've known each other probably about, back. God, going on 12 years now, it seems. Something like probably. that. I get that. It's from, uh, so we, way back in the day, this is like right after 9-11, at least it was for me. Is that when you started there? Mm-hmm. Right in there. We started, uh, we we're both we we're both actors and we were both, uh, it was easy to get a security job at that time at the studios, at Warner Brothers for sure. Studios. So us and probably a bunch of other like-minded people got jobs not really for the job but to try to for sure weasel our way in there <laughs> not weasel our way in i mean you know i mean i genuinely um i'm a huge fan of movies you know i mean i've always loved movies so i mean one of the most fascinating things about me being there and well number one being able to hang out and talk with people like yourself you know we we had 12 hours to kill in a in a yeah. box you yeah. know a th- four by five box uh, uh, so, but the other cool thing was you actually got to go around and you got to see these sets progress and build. So like when a new movie came into town or something like that, and they had something like three stages, 
you got to see kind of the movie magic kind of build itself. It is crazy, right? And uh, yeah, so the Last Samurai like, was a good oh, example. It's kind of cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got there right after Last Samurai. Just Were you already a there? Huge then? fortress and shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But when you imagine it and you see the photos of it, you're like, incredible how they did this all backstage and on the lot just behind stage 24 and 25, I think it was, uh-huh. right over there on the back lot uh-huh. where they would always shoot Lois and Clark and right. things like that. So, you know, it's silly TV shows, but then going out there and you just go, man, that is movie magic. And it's like, yeah. you know, two blocks away from the Blade Runner stages yes, where yes. they did all I the Blade Runner stuff. I that all the time when I'd walk around there like, yeah, this is where this happened. I can't believe it. Yeah, if you're a real weird. movie geek, like we, we, you will find out, if you don't know yet, we both are We're <laughs> pretty dork. hardcore dork. movie dorks. But uh, so, yeah, yeah, I remember they, there, was a, there were a lot of places where I'd wander around and just kind of dork out or just, you know, you'd go on stage. Remember Solaris, the Steven Soderbergh for version? For sure, for sure. So you'd go on the stage and you'd be on, and just walking around on the spaceship and you're like, wow, mm-hmm. shit, George Clooney's going to be shooting here in a few hours. And you just like, fuck, I right. wish I was doing this. Right. Well, there was another thing too. It's like, you know, you would see stuff like the pre-production stuff that was really cool too, or you got to see things in development. And because I work graveyard, I would get to see a lot of cool things that nobody else got to see. Mm-hmm. So like uh, when they were redoing uh, I Am Legend or when they were going to make I Am Legend, uh, at one point Ridley Scott was supposed to do it in the 90s and he had all these pre drawings and all this other With stuff Arnold I think it was possibly Arnold but I don't know if they'd ever really kind of figured out who it was going to be but it was but anyway. and uh, I forget uh, the guy that wrote it I always mispronounce his name I think it was Mark Petrovic Travovich or something like that. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, but he was the writer of it, and so I had re- I had read the screenplay uh-huh. because I work in a graveyard, and then I would also see all this previous stuff that was so cool. And you're like, oh wow, this is stuff that Ridley Scott, yeah, passed and said, I like this. This is what we're going to do. This is how the vampires are going to look. This is how the, the, and it's really neat to see all that previous stuff. How the city was going to look, how the space was going to be, and it was like really cool. And did you? Because uh, I know we both. I mean. We did both did kind of similar things, and I remember like um, I uh, well a couple things I would well first of all just a couple years prior before before nine eleven I would I used to sneak in I, I don't know when you got to LA but I got here in the, in the late late nineties I got here in ninety three okay so so you're the clear before that happened sure. and you could sneak in like I used to take. Like I used to, this is back when you had phones that you had the little antenna. You'd pull right, right. <laughs> so to try to look like I was some kind of, I don't know, whatever, agent or something. I, I had like a leather portfolio thing. It was actually full of headshots. Yeah. 10 by 8 black and white headshots probably. <laughs> and this phone with the antenna pulled out. And I pull out this phone with this antenna and I, you know, act like I was talking like I knew where I was going. And I just walk right past the security guys. For sure, for sure. It Everything changed after that. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like Fort Knox now, but... But yeah. yeah, so when I worked there, I would, uh, and we weren't supposed to do this, but I'd go around and lay my headshots on all the for cast sure. directors, for boxes sure. and shit and all that. I did it only a couple of times. I'm kind of a dork that way too, because I'm just like, you know, I, I don't want to bug these people or something like that. And this, and this, uh, I'll have a story I have to tell you off air. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> it was, it was, it oh, you're killing it everybody. Would, Can it you give out. some kind of a mild version of it or no? <laughs> Not it really. was uh it was a no direct I, I, I no names but it was a director and and uh, I, I put it on there and I wrote just a little letter about who I was and why I, I had a passion to be on the project and all that mm-hmm. stuff you know whatever you're trying to do to sell yourself to the mm-hmm. person and it's the weirdest thing for me to do being who I am and stuff so it was strange anyway but I know there's no opportunities you know that are kind of handed to you so I was yeah. just like you know I <laughs> and since they didn't know I did graveyard shift. 
and I they thought I just mailed it in general mail because I just put it in their general mail. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't go and put it on somebody's desk right. and address it to them or stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, you put it in their box somewhere. Right? And uh, the next day, uh, I saw it on the wall pinned with all the production photos, and it said, and it had on marker on front of my on my headshot said, "Will you marry me?" <laughs> oh no. <laughs> What are you supposed to take of that? I was like, oh, God, they were just probably having a good old time in the office. Could have been worse. Oh, look. Look at this guy. Look, he wants to be on the movie. Oh, he's so (laughs) handsome. And, you know, and, uh, you know, the director was known for those things. That's cool. Anyway. That's pretty funny, actually. I I remember um, in one time, you know, one of the inspirations, one of the guys, and we're going to get into this. But one of the guys who was sort of the inspiration for this whole podcast, for the whole blog, the whole show, everything, is John Milius. Right. Because, you know, this whole thing was about, uh, this whole show was, the, the original idea was, you know, about guys like him and, and uh, Peck and Paw and He's guys that you don't see very often anymore. Guys, right. guys. And, and, and the, not just movies, but movies definitely in, the, in, you know, everything. They were the like arts. that in their own life as well, you know. I mean, the real thing. I mean, a lot of people don't realize. I mean, uh, you know, something somebody like John Milius was uh, was more of a fan, I think, and 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 looked up to this Peck and Paws and the John Fords, and those were people that were tested through fire. A lot of these guys were, some of them were military journalists and things like that, and that's where they learned the filmmaking or, or how to develop it. Yeah, like or Samuel in the military. Fuller or right and Lee Marvin, or, right? I mean, and the list goes on. But you know, but as far as like directors and things like that, these guys, a lot of directors in the old days were just blue collar dudes. It wasn't looked at as this artistic thing that, you know, you had to be a certain type of a person, you know, and have your hat and point that way whenever the the camera comes your way and and shows you on set, you know, they, they were real gritty kind of guys. And I don't know if they're asking for specific lattes and green. Right. Yeah. They were like, let's get the shots done and we have a 12 hour day today and we're going to be in hot sun and let's do this, do this. Sam Fuller shot a gun for action. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I bring bring him up. Well, not Sam Fuller, but all him too. But I mean, I bring uh, John Millie up because so speaking of this and Warner Brothers one of the things that I'll admit it now I mean this is many years many yeah, years yeah, ago yeah. It worked yeah, yeah. I would sneak into John Millis's office and I know mm-hmm. you did this too and uh, I night, wouldn't call it sneaking I would patrol I came up with a very good excuse as to why I was in there I would there. patrol the building and make sure that his uh, <laughs> coffee maker was not exactly I did the same thing because so. their, their secretary or somebody or whoever it was right. would always leave the coffee table coffee so that's what I did on. but I didn't do anything weird I just I was just you know kind of you know starstruck of this guy and, you're and breathing I just, in the same air Exactly. That's all. You know, no, I, seriously, though, I, I stood I next. I never sat at his desk, but I no, sat there no. and I stood next to his desk and I go, "That's John Millis's human humidor." That's exactly what it was. I didn't. And I didn't open anything. it. I was like, "That's but his yeah." Humidor. I would go in there and and I shit you not, you guys. It was like, and I don't think he has an office there anymore. I don't no, no, no. He actually well. he actually left after he had a stroke and and yeah. well before that actually. So he he left not too much longer after I left. Um, um, I remember seeing him pulling in and like an old. He was like, in there every once in a while. He wasn't there a whole lot. Yeah, you know. But uh, so he so anyway, um, he uh, his office. I mean, it smelled like a cigar. Right. For sure. And uh, I remember seeing like I think I, I, I want to say that there was some some kind of a like deer antlers on the wall or something like that or a well, deer his, head or something. His, his office was very much like a lodge. It was, like it was a man's Hemingway's office. house right. or something. Was, there was like yeah. gun and like hunting magazines laying around like a. Like a Conan poster on right. the wall. It had, a, it had a. I think it was a German Conan poster, but it wasn't so it not was, American. So yeah. it was like it was much more like the Frank Frazetta drawings mm. than it than the uh, the American posters were. We've talked about him with uh, Tom Coker, who's a comic book artist. We talked about Frank Frazetta. Right, Frank Frazetta. Yeah, was yeah. awesome. He was a, he so um, 
Yeah, so this was just, you know, and I'm, you know, just Conan was a big, big movie for me as a kid, as were other right. kind of B-movie, you know, things that he that, did, like Red Dawn. You know, I mean, I, I like will that. defend Conan to the death, man. I, I will co- I will defend it to the death. If you go back and you look at that film, and if you look at the writing of it and how that film came in development and how John Milius had planned it to be, John Milius was a dork just like me if, over spaghetti westerns mm-hmm. and the Clint Eastwood genres and and that and he loved um, Kira Kurosawa and he mm-hmm. he loved um, Ennio Morricone excuse me Sergio Leone mm-hmm. and uh, Ennio Morricone of course sure. um, I think even he tried to get Conan uh, originally uh, he tried to get Ennio Morricone well, I think he did better um, with Basil but but then he got Basil because he went to USC with he knew him from USC and stuff I, I guess that guy's last name uh, Basil Polidaris Greek name or something. Um, so but um, but anyway uh, some Something like Conan, it is a well-written movie. It was written by Oliver Stone, and then later rewritten by John Milius, and then and then it became the film it was. But I mean, it's it's the uh, it's the perfect origin story, and it's the perfect birth of like Conan if you look at it. And it's it's just a it's a great movie through and through as far as a three act structure goes. I still think it stands. It's up, a hero man. journey. I, I, I love and that. It, movie. Yeah, and it's a and it doesn't rely on special effects and Not things like that. It, I mean, and it doesn't get into this mystical world. It gets into a real world, and you see that now playing out in something like Game of Thrones you know where mm-hmm. they get crazy in the fifth and sixth seasons once they started getting the really big budgets and the dragons got big but before yeah. that it was just like all based on this is what you know this world looks like it's very real to you and so you could touch it and feel it yeah you know and and conan seemed uh, vulnerable you know even though he was this massive dude that could take on the world and and uh and uh was the closest to what um i always forget his name now oh, the, the author, the author of the uh, yeah books yeah i don't remember his name either but closest to his original version yeah i still believe you know i I guess there's this is pretty recent news they've been talking about it for years but i think it's been confirmed that uh arnold's coming back as conan as the king King. conan i think yeah yeah. Yeah. which i think is really really cool yeah yeah yeah. and if somehow i could tell him that uh i'm part uh, i would be a perfect i'm six foot three blonde hair blue eyed i'd look just like the son of his valkyrie (laughs) wife So we're going to go all over the place talking tonight, dude. So, yeah. So speaking of that. So, yeah. So obviously you're uh, an actor. Uh-huh. And uh, so, the, you know, we're going to have a blog post that goes with this. But so we, uh, I'm going to be posting everything and references and all the, all the stuff that we're bringing up, mm-hmm. whether it's Basil for sure, or whatever it is, and all this other whatever stuff on John Milius in case people don't know who he is. If you don't and you're listening to this show, you should really know who he is. Right, right. Um, he was a great writer. A lot of people, I mean, just go Apocalypse back to him now. real fast. Yeah, Apocalypse Now, but he was also one of these guys that would come in and doctor up these scripts, and he was the one that wrote the famous line. I mean, everybody knows this now, but I knew it a lot longer. Longer. It was a, He originally came up with the uh, the Clint Eastwood line, um, you know, about the Smith & Wesson and the original Dirty Harry. Oh, that little monologue? Yeah, the monologue at the end. Listen, yeah, did, did, I, did I shoot uh, five shots, six whatever. shots, or only five? Right, you know right, I mean? That right. whole thing was him. And, and then, of course, he came on for other... Uh, uh, sudden impact in those other movies and I think he even wrote Make My Day Yeah, but the point being is is he was well, one of these guys in the, morning, that in the 70s he was one of the if not the most sought after screenwriter in Hollywood I mean the guy was I mean on a lot of pro- his hands were in everything Yeah, and that's why he was also able to get away with half the stuff he was because but I think there's a reason for that and that's a reason why I think you're drawn to him just like I am is, is he wrote for real people and he wrote for something that wasn't being said in Hollywood you know where everybody else was kind of had this left wing kind of way of looking at yeah. things he had this opposite right wing kind of way that really spoke to like a middle america and things like that you know yeah well it got 
yeah, that's why like movies like Red Dawn got criticized oh, so yeah. badly. Oh, yeah, but it yeah. came. I mean, that was during the Reagan era too. Sure, so it was, sure, sure. I'd actually, I, th- I, mean, I think it did pretty well. Maybe I'm wrong. But no, it did kid, well. I mean, I God, as a kid, like, we the saw the it a thousand like times. times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw it twice in the theater, and then and then when it's on HBO, you saw it. You know, oh, I saw it a million times. times in HBO. Yeah, I think I could. Yeah, I mean, you could still make fun, make fun of some of the quotes and the Avenge Me and all. Oh that. yeah. Uh, yeah, so Red Dawn. Yeah. If there are any millennial guys listening to this, they're probably going to think it's funny, but it's like a, it's a movie about what yeah. like, Cuba, was it Cuba and Russia uh, invaded yeah. the United States. Yeah, when Patrick days. Swayze was a real man and Chris Hemsworth, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, can't do an American accent. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about that too. Um, yeah, remind me, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But um, so, any, yeah, so anyway, so you're an actor and we just did this. Uh, Harley Davidson commercial together. And speaking of um, of you being shy to put like uh, headshots out in uh, casting directors' offices, he's so humble that even during this shoot, and uh, if you go to triumphanddisasterblog.com, you'll see it. You'll see the, the long version of it. I'm really proud of it. It's we've been talking about doing this for about a year, I think now. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was over a year. Yeah, I mean, somewhere now where we actually started talking about it. It wasn't. I don't think it was the original idea. We were, was it necessarily a commercial we had like yeah like a short well, film sort like of idea a, i was like trying to come up with i mean in, in all honesty and and it and to let everybody know Thanks. what what it comes down to is you know i've been in this town for a long time as an actor and you know and and this town is a lot of uh, opportunities are at a, 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 not as easily available as they used to be you know i mean i remember yeah. when i first came here in the early 90s you could I mean, I could still go into offices and walk in and talk to casting directors, even though I was very green and off the boat and mm-hmm. hadn't been here for very long and, and was new in town. Um, I mean, I sat and had a full conversation one day with Mally Finn in like 93, right when I got here. And she was so nice to me. And I mean, how she, why she ever let me in her doors to talk to her, Do I have, have any, no idea. Uh, examples of what she, what she cast? So people Mally Finn was a, a, a ca- famous biggest known. Yeah, yeah. She was known for Terminator 2 was how I knew her at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, she cast a lot of things that are offhand. I can't think of right now, but uh, she ended up passing away. I think she in, cast like 2010 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she did. I think she even cast the Titanic. I might be wrong on that but i know for sure she was terminator 2 but a bunch of other things and the reason i thought she would be um open to me maybe because uh, ended up what I, what i did was the classic kung fu thing i just walked up to her doors and i went into her office and i sat down in her office and they had a lobby and stuff and uh, i sat in the lobby and nobody was there the first day except for like a, a um an assistant at the desk and i sat there the whole day reading a book Nothing. Got up at the end of the day, left, came back the next day, went back in the office, sat down, no reading you, a book. You did one of those Just kind of hung like out, really and I that. just hung out in the, do- in the lobby. And uh, the reason I thought that might work, and then she might be receptive to it, is because she was famously known for um, Edward Furlong. Is that right? The kid from mm-hmm. uh, Terminator 2? Mm-hmm. And she found him, like, you know, at a gymnasium in Glendale or something like that. Who, by the way, was in American History X, which your Tony K last, for sure, last episode. For sure, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, so I was like, you know, I'm 21 years old. And, um, so I was like, you know, why not? And I kept doing it. I did it for two days and almost to the end of the last day I was about to leave and she comes out. I didn't know it was her. And she walks out and she kind of looks around the lobby and she goes, is there anybody here to help you? And I said, no, I've just been sitting here reading my book. And she goes, what are you here for? And I, I'm, I'm here to meet Mally Finn. <laughs> and she was like, well, come on in. And she walked back in with me to the office and we sat down and I propped my feet up and she propped her feet up and she says, tell me about yourself and no why are you here? And, and I told her and, 
<laughs> probably look like a dummy all the way around and say what my goals are and stuff. And she said, well, this is what you do and go here and do this and Old school. work on this and, and, uh, come back and see me later and stuff. And I met her a couple of times after that before she passed away, but I would go to like casting seminars and stuff like that. And I always felt so, I felt so bad going up to, cause these people, after every seminar you ever go to with a casting director or something like that, people just inundate them with yeah, questions yeah. and come talk to you and they try to get their three seconds in. And I've just always felt like that was a very inefficient way to have a conversation with anybody. Yeah. And, and it seemed very kind of contrived. Yeah, so absolutely. I always was like, you know what? I'm not going to talk to her. And I never did. I never talked to her again after that. And I, and I never got to audition for her or anything, you know? So, uh, but, that's you, good, but what my point was is you used to be able to go in and, yeah, drop no, off headshots cool. and, and take huge, it to him. You know, he, she was a huge. Cast. She was huge at the time. She was so for her to do, That's really cool, and that's that's kind of the old school, and that's. Uh, and she was known for doing that. Because, she was well known for being a very nice person, right? And she was also well known for uh, supporting actors and really wanting actors to succeed. You hear stories like you know in something like Terminator Two to go back to that as a reference. She was uh, known because of the scene. You remember the scene where she was Sarah Connor was still in the uh, the ward and, mm-hmm. uh, for the institution, mm-hmm. and that that guard came over her and and uh, that night she was going to escape and he licks her face. Yeah, the guy with the mustache, wasn't it? Uh, no, he didn't have a mustache. He was clean shaven, but there was another guy. The mustache is a guy well, that got thrown against the wall. When she was when she was acting all catatonic. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. Right. So she could then escape and she spit the right. paperclip out. So anyway, so right then, uh, so when she was doing the auditions for that part, she was having. All the guys lick her face. <laughs> what? <laughs> you find out later in these interviews, you hear from her, and I go, man, that's so cool, man. I mean, you know, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least not after the 10th guy. <laughs> I don't even know if I'd let a girl lick my face. Like, you know, these beautiful Playboy models lick my face. <laughs> so when you, um, like I said, we're just going to jump around, whatever. But when, uh, at Warner Brothers, did you take advantage of, I remember, um, and I forget why, and I never really totally took advantage of our opportunities there, but I, 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 there was, for some reason, at some point, I wanted to talk to, I believe his name was Joel Cox, and he's the editor for all, Joel Cox, all yeah. of Eastwood's movies, all I, of I think them. to this yeah, day yeah. even. Yep, yep. Really nice guy. This guy, from what I remember, drove a truck and was just like the most unassuming nice guy, nicest right. guy, and he gave me his number there. Wow. What well, was there? I think it was at the at the office there because because I was curious. At Mount like, Paso Productions. You, uh, I was trying to get a better gig, and you know, I was you know. Was sure, 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 sure. And uh, yeah, he just gave me, and he was editing some big movie at the time. Oh. I never took him up on it. There's there were a lot of examples like that. I remember. I mean, we saw everybody working. You do, and just after, you live in this town long enough, or you're in this business long enough, you you, you, you see everybody. see everybody. But there are a couple of people that when I saw them. Or ha- if I had you know seen them, I would kind of weird out a little bit because this is like if they're really iconic from when I my child. It's all about from when I was a kid. Sure, sure, sure. If it's someone that just came out of your, I don't, I don't really give a shit. <laughs> I, I don't really give a shit. Usually in general, people are people. But um, Clint Eastwood is my example. Oh yeah, I remember seeing him. I saw him a few times there, and I talked to him a little bit awkwardly once. <laughs> right, <laughs> an awkward situation. But uh, when you see a guy like that. It just all comes back, you know, like some of the earliest movies I saw, I don't know, TV with my dad or something on right. a Saturday night or something, you know what I mean? Or well, just that, whatever. Well, we were the, uh, the birth of TNT. You right, know, all that stuff. You got to see that every weekend. You get to see the same, you know. Right. Samurai movies or cowboy yeah, yeah. movies or whatever. 
I remember my dad talking up Seven Samurai before I saw it, like uh-huh. telling me all about it, and I was so fucking into it. I was so uh-huh. excited about it. I, I, I think I'm, I think my dad was partially responsible for my uh, for my love of movies that way, because he would intro- he would talk the same thing with the Oni movies and a lot of different things. Take me to drive-ins, you know. How old was your dad compared to you? Like, was he a young man when he had you, or was he older? When he had <laughs> he you? was. Um, well, the dad thing's a long story. I, my my dad who raised me is who I called my dad. So we'll just go with that. Right. This, and uh, he was, uh, he's, uh, I want to say, not. A, I, th- I think he was probably about 25 or so, or 26, mm-hmm. I think, when I was born. So, and my actual dad was only 18. He was a lot younger. So right, right, right. Closer. Um, but yeah, I remember, uh, I remember him even... They used to have these TV guides for Showtime that were like these little brochures, these pamphlets, right, right, by right, the month and for sure, for sure, yeah, yeah, in them and stuff. And I remember and this is this is as far back as I can remember from TV and and whatever. I remember they were playing like Enter the Dragon on this thing, and I remember <clears> seeing Bruce Lee with the scratch marks and he never was telling seen me about it. Never seen. He it. wouldn't let me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't let me see it at the time. Actually, I oh, was wow. one of those kids whose parents didn't let me see. I had to like see it at other kids' house or whatever, spending the night. That's right. where I was traumatized by shit like Deer Hunter, and, <laughs> right? <laughs> and You're stuff like, like oh my that. god! But that's also it's those movies like that. God, we're gonna go all over the place. I don't want to. No, no, no. Go ahead. That, go, go ahead. I mean, like the Deer Hunter. <laughs> I remember one time it was a family gathering, and that was on like on a TV. And I remember they wouldn't let me see it. I'd go to bed mm-hmm. or whatever. And I remember hearing this, and I thought, God, I wonder. I was just really curious what that was. And plus, when we were kids, and we're we're dating ourselves, but it's the truth. When we were kids, the Vietnam War was not too many years far gone my dad should have went you know, to the vietnam War. a handful of years mm-hmm. after you know so it was a real fresh wound so um yeah movies like that i, I was just like and the apocalypse now too mm-hmm. I, I did i wanted to know what the deal was and so when i saw them i'm not even talking about just about vietnam i'm talking about <clears> movies like that when i saw them they had a huge impact on me man right huge Movies like those, um, well, like Outlaw Josie Wells was a total metaphor like for Vietnam. You know, oh yeah, there's a lot. That, well, whether it was a metaphor or direct, I mean, well, yeah, but I mean, I mean, it doesn't even have to be. That's a whole other subject. For but sure. um, I just mean, and even like uh, Dog Day Afternoon is another one that pops out at me right now because mm-hmm. I just didn't know. I didn't know that acting could be that good, right? And so realistic. So when I you see know. like De Niro and Deer Hunter mm-hmm. doing the Russian roulette, holy. Fuck or, mm-hmm. or or dog day afternoon Al Pacino in the bank. It's just like or Sal Sal. Mm-hmm. Um, oh fuck! What's his last name? Sal. Uh, you you're one talking the, about the actor that yeah, passed away. Uh, really, one of the was, best actors. He was married that ever to lived, uh, or he was no, dating no, uh, yeah, uh, Meryl Streep. Sal and he was he was pops he, up to me later. I'll tell you, but I'll yeah, post. I'll he post was no he was nominated blog. in every film he was ever in. Godfather two. Yes, you're right. Yeah. He was. He, Deer he, Hunter, he, Godfather two. Doctor ever be like that. One of the best actors to ever live. Great. And, Fantastic. Uh, anyway, so these guys, you know, this this stuff had a, a huge impact on me. Huge, huge impact on me. Um, I don't know where I'm going with but this. Don't, but, but don't, but uh, don't, but don't, don't sell yourself short. You know that you Road Warrior dismissed as much as you to me. Oh fuck and everything, yeah. and seeing movies like that, you know that we wouldn't fuck have seen, yeah. you know, because that was the thing too is we got to see the birth still of so one of my much. Favorite movies, it's by still the way. A, one of my favorite films. I mean, you oh, go back and 10. you look at that; it's like just crazy. I mean, but you look at films like that. Like we would, we we kind of saw the birth of a lot of filmmaking, and Australian filmmaking was one of those. Uh, 
those things. They used to have these bad B movies, like I think they called one Razorback or something like that, or it was about a, a gigantic, kind of gigantic hog <laughs> that was well, that kill people. But I mean, they had these just crazy films. So when you saw something like Road Warrior that was really well pieced together and done well, which you know, I mean, a lot of people will be haters of it, but you know, I, I've never I really been a big why. fan of Mad Max and oh, stuff. Mad but Max, but okay. you know, I mean, I get it, and I they have a lot of great. It was the Road Warrior things, for me, though, but yeah. it was like so underdone that even later, um, uh, George uh, Miller mm-hmm. said that he's like, when I did Road Warrior, I was really just remaking Mad Max because I didn't have the budget before. You know, I didn't have the budget to even do the right. ideas I had. Right, right. You know, and that really kind of kept him back. So when you see something like Road Warrior, yeah, now as an actor, that's all you. That's all I still want to do is I still want to be like dressed up. And Me too. Go to go mo- go go get a mohawk, and then act like and put this eyeshadow on, and then do a wheelie down the road on this motorcycle. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's a combination like, yeah, of it's and not, wear it's, shoulder pads. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> which we came close to in that commercial we just. And then we'll uh, and then also that. have just ridiculously uh, over the top Australian accents. You know, you know what it was. I think that uh, when we were kids, like movies, like you. you so we would go to video stores mm-hmm. when we were kids, and it was like a fucking- Like mom and pop video mom, stores, all mom and pop. No, no, no. They were all mom and pop, yeah. and it was like a fucking kid in a candy store because it was all about the the covers. Right. And so you can go to like the action area, and you'd go to like, and you'd see these crazy cheap, uh, like- post-apocalyptic biker movies with spikes on their handlebars <laughs> right, right. and shit like that. <laughs> yeah. And there'd be like like a couple dozen of them, dude. Right. Be a t- so when you came across the Road Warrior, and this is like a quality one, it was it was a whole new ball game. Oh, right. You know? You know. Or they'd have all these like rows of horrible slasher movies and uh, horror movies. And I'd rent the shit out of them, too. Yeah. Like, you know? Uh, yeah. And seen so many of them, but um, and bad, bad nudity even. Oh yeah, oh, God, you would hope so. <laughs> You'd hope so. That's what oh. you try to talk your parents into running one. No, you knew it had that in there, right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. My friend <laughs> told just, me, but right. I mean, see, you probably still remember. Like even me, I was such a movie nerd that I would go and uh, to the to the to the magazine shop. I mean, to, the, to like not even the Seven Elevens, the convenience stores, and. You'd get magazines like Fangoria mm-hmm. and that, and cinematography magazines because they're the only way you learned anything about Hollywood and how they did things. And yeah. so you got to see how they made some of the special effects or how they popped somebody's chest open in Friday the 13th. Yeah. And you're just like, or this is thing, so cool. Yeah, it's so which cool. Which is one of my favorite movies. Which is another one, another one that really blew me away. As For a sure. Well, I mean, you know, um, if we're going to get in on any kind of through line here, I think it, what what it, what it, what <laughs> I would you, say Brad. is is uh, the, what you what I would say is that what brings our similarities close is that for movies like that, they're movies of substance and they they're movies of story and they're movies of character. And you see something like Thing, even once again, gee, cheesy sci fi, but even with the campy special effects that pretty pretty well hold up, but still are a little campy ish. Being it's what, I think eighty two when they filmed it, yeah. As a story, it absolutely holds up, you know, and it'll, Dude, I, it'll, I it'll never like fall apart. Special effects, I, I, uh, even if you know you recognize them for what they are, you could, I mean, like you said, it's 1982 for Christ's sake. I mean, but you know, right. the effects. I'm serious. I, I would rather have that than a lot of CGI in a way. And mm-hmm. the reason why is that there's there's a life to it, man. Mm-hmm. There's there's a life mm-hmm. to it, and I'm always, I mean, mm-hmm. CGI is getting more and more impressive every like fucking weak. I mean, you mm-hmm. see a crazy shit and, and there's a lot of 
good stuff that you can do with it. I went and saw the but, Jungle Book, and you're just like, oh my yeah, I god, saw it too. yeah, it's insane. That is unbelievable. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's but you still a know that that's it's missing somehow. There is, you know, but, I you like know like watching I mean, a. Uh, you know, not a cartoon, but there's something about it that takes a little bit of emotion out of it somehow to me. And maybe right. it'll change, but I don't I don't know, man. I don't know. There's something about um photography of actual, you know it's the same thing with like you know, people talk about how uh actors are gonna be replaced and I just don't see it. I, I, I think that I think that cameras capture we're going to get a little woo-woo we're, here, we're but probably, it captures the soul a little bit. It well, captures I mean, you know, we'll be naive, and, you know, I mean, you and I have the same, I mean, a lot of people that think I'm not spiritual, I mean, I, I absolutely am spiritual, and I, I, I uh, believe in that stuff all the way, and I think you pick up somebody's soul and what that is and who they are, and, and it comes through in that, and, and, that, and, and things that... Uh, are made in CGI world, you know, Avatar has been the closest to it, and that's but that was still made with actors. So it's you know, but it's in there. You can make cool stuff, right? You can make a story. And if it fits in the story, and if it fits into the and right you can idea, make a moving story in a mm-hmm. way. Like I, you know, when I saw the Lion King, I teared up. Yeah, for sure. Cartoon. So you can make or whatever. Bambi gets mom get killed, whatever. I mean, you can make right. a moving story, but but uh, but you're not getting that third you're not eye. Have that soul. Yeah, there's. <laughs> some, I really. I, I'm glad that you. You know, I kind of put myself out there by throwing that out there, but I really believe that actually. Yeah. Um, no, I mean after that, I think it just becomes contrived in little ways. Completely. You know? Completely. And, you know, uh, I mean, and 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 still, whenever you see something that's super successful, like something like The Incredibles, that is, you know, pretty, you know, uh, um, over the top kind of CG. I mean, if you would look at it that way, it's kind of cartoonish. I love that, movie. and it's fantastic. Yeah. But you know, the the actors are the ones that sell it, and the soul of the characters, and you get into it, and. And and those people have a life, yeah. you know, behind it. So it really sells it. So, so speaking of that and acting, mm-hmm. so you did this commercial. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to force me to talk about this. this. Well, just briefly, because I mean, yeah, because I, I want to, I, you know, I want people to see this thing because I think, you know, when they do, they'll see that you're, uh, you belong in that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You, you're you're like this perfect iconic cowboy kind of guy. So, but you're still even like as we're speaking, you're a little bit. You're, you have so much humility. I was so what I, all I was going to say is, um, you know, when you were talking about uh, not being not wanting to put your pictures uh, in the casting director's desk and things like that because you felt like, you know, you have like this, uh, you have this blue collar American kind of humility, you know, and which means you don't, you know, want to talk yourself up mm-hmm. you know which is uh we're going to get around to american actors and that sort of thing but, but it's the same attitude that keeps a lot of people guys uh guys guys in mm-hmm. our culture i think mm-hmm. from acting as much now as maybe they well used it's to. true um, in, in a lot of ways i think and we've i've had this conversation with kevin shulman he was on a episode i think it was the second one and uh he just he feels like uh, a lot of guys um uh, in this country, are not getting a lot of classical training or training at all, which may mm-hmm. be true, but not everybody. That's not true for everybody, and I know that right. for sure. Because I mean, this country was like the hotbed of of actors and training for the longest time, mm-hmm. and uh, something happened along the road where you don't see a lot of um, tough guy type characters or heroic characters, even prototypical American characters like Superman of all things. Right. It's played of by all a things, British guy. The American flag waving comic book character is not played by an American guy right yeah. now. So something's wrong. 
and um, and it's not for shortage of talent. Although, if you read the magazines, they'll say it's shortage of talent. Yeah, and this is what um, um, Kevin felt the same way, and, and it's fine. It's it's a valid opinion, and maybe you know I don't know if it, there's some truth to it or not. I don't I don't feel that there is, but I think that there might be maybe something culturally um, that shifted away from, I know it wasn't true in the forties and fifties and sixties and seventies when we're talking about guys like Lee Marvin or whatever. For sure. For sure. Um, um, And then the list goes on and on. Well, it'd be sacrilegious to have, you know, somebody, you know, a British person to play Audie Murphy, you know, you know, it's like, here's a, here's the other thing. And we, we talk about this all the time too. We'll talk about this in a second, but like, I, I just think that a lot of guys, uh, American guys, have who are really you know kind of manly dudes, kind of shy away from it a little bit because precisely they have the same attitude or similar that you do mm-hmm. of this sort of self-effacing, not wanting to take the credit. It's what you see in a lot of guys who are in the military, to be honest with you, right? And um, you know, maybe a lot of guys who uh, maybe in the past. Um, who may have become actors or directors or artists, whatever, mm-hmm. writers, whatever the case may be, like mm-hmm. anything else, are shying away and they're ending up in, in places like that, like um, and 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 staying there and and uh, and doing her real heroic shit, you right? Know? Um, but when you're saying, you know, we're talking about, um, yeah, it'd be sacrilegious to have an English guy play Audie Murphy or whatever. Mm-hmm. In the same, not to, because it, on the on the exact same note, I think it would be. Um, Shitty for an American guy to. Well, they they already talked about it with 007. And, I don't know. You know, 007, they, they, perfect 007, perfect example. I mean, it's 007. like they talk about 007 all the time, and they would never even consider an American guy. To why play would it. you? You know, I think, and, and I think that would be stupid. I would be. Why the fuck would they pick an American guy for yeah. that? But so when so when I when I when I when we state this uh, when we make this case about about um, having a a British guy play Superman. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not for being. You know. It's not some some weird. It's thing not dislike because of uh, I don't like uh, that guy in particular. Or, or actor, you know, no, or because the some British of my favorite actors, actors are. For, you're just like you know, but like Gary why? One example. Or know, Tom Hardy's another example. I'm a huge fan of that. Guy. So uh, well, I can I, get on. I can I can kind of go off this. I think what it is is like you know. I mean, the one thing that separates a lot of people is opportunity. I think, you know. I mean, I've been in this a while, and and uh, and I actually heard this. Um, if you ever want to hear a great commentary, it's, um, it's, a uh, is it Michael Cimino? Is that how you say his name? Um, S- Cimino, Cimino, I think. Yeah. 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 And he's, the guy, he directed Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, but he also, mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to forget the dang movie now, but it Heaven's had, Gate. Um, uh, Mickey Rourke. And oh, it was, um, you're the dragon. You're the dragon. Yeah. And, uh, it's a really good commentary and, and half the commentary he talks that's about Mickey Rourke, by the way. Right. And he talks about Clint Eastwood, but he also talks a lot about the filmmaking and, and, and what he does. Like he'll give little notes. Like I could shoot a whole movie with a 35 millimeter and an 85 millimeter lens. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay. So he's very practical, but he had a lot of examples of somebody like Clint Eastwood and, and, and things that Clint Eastwood told him because a lot of people don't know that Clint Eastwood gave him his first opportunity because he had written, I believe it was Magnum Force, and um, it was the first screenplay he'd ever written. And while they're on the set or something like that and or in pre-production for Magnum Force, he asked Michael if he'd, Clint, East, Clint Eastwood asked him, have you, shot, have you uh, written anything else? And he goes, oh, I have this other movie. And uh, I finished and Clint's like, we'll send it over and I'll read it. And so he sends it over and reads it. That's Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. And Clint Eastwood comes back the next day. And he's like, that's going to be my next picture. <clears throat> comes back the next day. 
and he says, "Hey, Michael, have you ever thought of directing?" No <laughs> he's shit. Like, he's like, uh, "I've considered it. You know, I've thought about it, but I've never really done it and everything." He goes, "Well, okay. Well, then you'll direct the picture." And walks away, and then you know, and then they shoot the movie, and 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 he gave, and uh, later whenever they became older, and they this is how Thunderbird Lightfoot got made, right? By the way, one of my favorite movies out of the seventies, one of my favorite movies, I think, oh, actually. Yeah. There's another one you guys Great need movie, to look up. Great movie, I'll tell you. This is with a young Jeff Bridges. It's one of his first movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Young, young, young. And there's actually a really good story I like out of that from Jeff Bridges giving an example of uh, um, <laughs> talking with Clint Eastwood and on set and stuff. But anyway, real quick to finish the story about Michael, he said later he would talk to Clint about that and why did you give me these opportunities? Because I could have absolutely failed and done badly. And he said, you know, a lot of times I feel that people, what really separates most people is opportunity and most people just don't get get the opportunity to be successful yeah and Clint Eastwood was well known for that like Joel Cox you brought him up I mm-hmm. think he was his best boy on like every which way but loose or something like that or any which way you can I wouldn't doubt it he's, and, he's and he was just and he's kind of worked his way up until he became eventually his lead guy and everything and all that stuff so I mean he always gave people opportunities and he said you know that's usually what separates he goes because most people if you give them the opportunity they'll usually surprise you at how well they'll do mm. but most people just don't get that shot and that's even why he'll say that he doesn't even audition as actors I auditioned for Flags of Our Fathers and I never got to meet him <laughs> how'd that come about but, but he said that uh, he said that uh, basically he never liked to interview his actors because it, he felt too bad you know, so I mean, um, how how the flags of our fathers came up yeah. is because I knew somebody that knew Joe Cox, and there, I there you go got to talk to Joe Cox, and Joe Cox said, "Yeah, bring him in," and it was one of those things you just hustle and try to find every little door and crack you could ever do, and yeah, and all that. So, yeah. but anyway, so I mean, where did we get? Where were we starting from? Where was that? Oh, but we're <laughs> all over the place. We're all we're talking about the uh, uh, American parts being played by. Oh yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, I mean, um. So Clint Eastwood was really big on that, and that's what we were talking about, Michael Cimino, and giving opportunity. And, and right now, there's just not a whole lot of opportunity out there. And, you know, you see a lot of the same actors recycled over and over, and you, you know, I mean, th- this business is run by a lot of agents that want to hire their actors out, and yeah. they're full. Yeah. You know, so it's tough to get in there, and especially whenever you have everything's either big budget or small budget. And I heard somebody tell me a story the other day where, like, John Hurt was doing a film where he was getting paid, like, $150 a day. It's very big or very you know? small. Right. Right. You know, and so you're just like, all right. You yeah. know, so so the pie has gotten smaller. So, and, you know, living here in L.A. and not being able to travel because, you know, most everything else that goes out of states, they're going to use local hires if they're not doing the main characters. And you just, unless you have the ability to work there. You know, which is why you are going to get this thing. You wanted to take uh, your destiny into your own hands a little bit and put yourself out. Yeah. You know, every casting director I'd talked to over the years, you know, I mean, not everyone, but, you know, it's it come up more and more over the years. Listen, if you want to work in this town, you have to create your own opportunities. And I know that sounds like old hat, but, you know, I don't think Brad Pitt walked into L.A. back when he was a kid and thought he'd have to write his own film and produce his own film and make his own film. He was trying to be an actor. Yeah. And so it, it kind of caught me off guard. But, you know, hey, it's like I'm game. I'll try it. And I think I have a good eye for things. And I think I have a good storytelling mind. Yeah. So let me see what I can do. And so how the Harley Davidson thing came up was just 
I guess from here, I'll just, I don't want to shoot a short film because I saw how badly it can go so much and how much time has to be dedicated to it and how much finances you have to be dedicated to it because you have to really be committed to making a film. You know, what's interesting about that. I mean, interrupt. No, go ahead. You know, with the short film thing, it's, it's, uh, I've done a couple and Mm -hmm. I've done a couple, I've done a couple of more that I hardly even consider really even short, but they they were in, in essence. But every time I did one, or after I did one or two, after both of them, I thought, I said, no, nah, I'm never going to do one of these again. If I'm going to do them, it's going to be a feature because the work almost feels the same. Like the amount of work you have to put into it almost feels the same. It's weird. I mean, and this, this thing that we did, which is less than a minute long, is a lot of work. People don't realize what goes into doing something like this. It's a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, we, had, I mean, um, we were able to do it relatively on a small crew and everything but god the pre-production like we said we'd been talking about it for over a year i'd been talking about it where as far as the idea and to be perfectly honest um to go back to what i was saying is like you know something like a short film you have to write it you have to do something like 30 pages you know 20 30 pages if it's gonna be anything kind of respectable you could do something smaller and maybe if you came up a really good concept um but it's a lot of time and work like you said you know we shot a minute and we shot a whole day and and there wasn't one minute spared, you know. I mean, that was the of shooting that part, but I mean the prep. But the, the, the prep all the way up and before that. So could you imagine if we we weren't just working for one minute, you know? So I knew it'd be a lot a big task. And in all honesty, I'm a married man with two kids, fifteen and eighteen, and you know we we uh, live with my father in law and take care of him, and we're just a regular American family. Yeah, <laughs> you know, my wife's a school teacher, so we. I mean, I knew it would be a very big task for me to be able to take on, but I knew I could choose something short. So I said, "Oh, I can do a commercial." So what can I do as a commercial? And <clears throat> I was always getting cast, especially when I had longer hair and a big full beard. I was always getting cast on Harley Davidson spots and things like that. Mm-hmm. I played, you know, a couple of parts like that before and going on those auditions all the time. And some Lord of the Rings. And thing, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I did yeah. a commercial for Lord of the Rings, a game, video game yeah. commercial. And, uh, you know, and I was like, so I can, what can I do that would be something of, because I always want to say, write what you know and what you like. And I, 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 like we said before, when we first started this, you know, I, I grew up on the Westerns. I grew up on that iconic kind of figure that, you know, to me, that's like reading Shakespeare, you know, seeing that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is, you know, somebody like, uh, was it Robert Duvall said, you know, the American Western is our Shakespeare. It's our mythology. Yeah, it's our mythology yeah. because that's where America was had its biggest flourishment and, and grown. Yeah. And so anyway, so getting back to that, I said, well, what can I do? And and another thing I have a talent for and able to do is ride horses. But ever, I could never book a commercial riding horses except for this Lord of the Rings thing. It was the only thing I'd ever done. And I'd been on other commercials and I'd seen other actors and you go in all the time and you see these. There was a time in Hollywood that you couldn't get work if you, you couldn't, couldn't If you couldn't ride a horse, you couldn't do it. Yeah. And, 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 and to go back and be nostalgic for a little bit whenever i first came here i was naive enough to go you know what maybe it's going to be like ben johnson when right. ben johnson came in he was a wrangler on these movie I love sets this actor and by the way if you guys don't know who he is look him up uh 
There's a monologue of him from the last picture show. Last picture really, show. Really you know, the you one that people most noticeably, but he played cops just and other things. Ben Johnson, he got older. Uh, but he was from, I'm it. from Oklahoma. Ben Johnson, I believe, was from Oklahoma. Uh-huh. And he was just an old cowboy and stuff. He was the real and, deal. And, and he was the real deal. And he came out to Hollywood because he, he knew he could get work as a wrangler. And he started working as a wrangler on Hollywood sets and stuff like that. And then before you know it, he was such a good writer. They're like, well, you can do stunts and stuff. And so he did stunts. And they say, you know, you could you could actually read lines pretty well and you're pretty good at, you know, he had a great affectations to his voice and everything yeah. and a very Southern accent. Yeah. And so he was money. Yeah. And so I, I was like, I love that guy. And, and he really was a good actor. Yeah. He's fantastic actor, but, but that's because Ben Johnson was Ben Johnson yeah. and you get somebody, you know, I mean, even Tom Hardy, as good as he is, couldn't play Ben Johnson, you know, and there are certain people that have that kind of thing. And yeah. I thought that that was going to be a little bit more about what it was. Hollywood was going to be about, you and know, actually and, made me think of also, and I, I'm having trouble remembering his name. Maybe you might remember it, but, uh, he was in the straight story with, uh, that, David Lynch directed. He was um, this older guy. Shit, I wish I, I, I wish I had IMDb to look up right now. <laughs> we got IMDb, but anyway, yeah, look him up we'll but, while but, you talk. But, but going back but to the- another guy like that who was just a very and he was actually a, I think he was a World War II veteran, right? And right. Uh, he was um, he started out in stunts, right? He started out right. in stunts. A few guys did that. Yeah. I'll, I'll you know this will be on the blog later. I wish I can think of it now, but I'll, yeah. I'll put something up there, but. No, I Same mean, kind of, and, and there, the list of guys like that was pretty long, actually. So every girl I ever dated before my wife was a horseman in some way, or a horse girl in some way, mm-hmm. or riding horses and stuff. And I always loved horses growing up. I felt connected to horses and things like that. And so I was a pretty decent rider. I was never fantastic, but I was a good rider. And f- turns out, in Hollywood terms, I'm a pretty goddamn good rider. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so Oki from the so, country knows how to ride dirt bikes and horses pretty yeah. well. Which is, so I was like, <laughs> I never get to use these things. Yeah. And so I came up with the idea of combining the Hardy Davidson with a kind of an old Western feel and, and, and the spirit of the old American West rider meets the modern day rider. And I felt the two would meet really well because you have the spirit of the old West um, horseman meets the modern day horseman Mm -hmm. and the modern day horse or the modern day horse meets the past horse. Mm -hmm. And those, when those two spirits meet, how they come together and how they're kind of just the same thing. And even kind of the person that, that, that character is. The spirit is the same. Exactly. The, the, The free, the free spirit. And so, um, so came up with an idea on how to shoot that and be able to show off, <laughs> show mm-hmm. off a little bit. <laughs> you need to, you need to, you know what? And that makes me think about something you said a couple minutes ago about, you know, you're a, you know, you're a family man, man. You got a, you're a dad, you got a couple of kids and a wife and you have this little house and, and you're an artist, you're an actor. And I think I can only assume that there's, you know, guys out there listening and I hope they are listening listening to you say this because uh who you know i don't it could be anything it doesn't have to be acting it could be anything i don't give a right. shit what it is maybe they i don't know maybe they fucking blacksmith they want to blacksmith knives or something right right, right whatever the case may be or, well i or, know a guy that in his mid-30s just turned his whole life around and quit his job and became an artist uh painting murals well, there you go. And, and the next thing you know he's painting murals on the side of buildings and being you know asked to i mean Sought after, but, <laughs> but changed everything, and hadn't done you're it since he was a teenager. It, but you're not, you're not. It's not like you're, you're. It's not being irresponsible for what you're doing in any way at all. I think some guys. I think there's so much resistance, man. And and this brings up, 
you know, it, he, it's become really popular on the internet lately on podcasts and stuff. People are always talking about Stephen Pressfield and war, the War of Art. That, mm-hmm. it, I think it's one of those Rogan things where you know, right, he right, brought right, it up right. And all of a sudden, all these bro podcasters for sure, for talking sure, about sure. this guy. But it's been around for a while. This book, and it's all about yeah. conquering resistance. It's a good book. I've read it. It's just great. Um, but uh, well, it's also it's also about putting one foot in front of the other, getting up every day and writing, and, and just and, doing, and, it. and yeah, pushing your emotions aside and saying, "Listen, you know, you got to do this, and you're good enough." And and he's an know. he's amazing, amazing sure. author. He's a great artist, sure. so, and uh, well, former Marine too, actually. For sure. Um, but my point is, is you know. Basically, what I was getting, long and short of it, is um, you're a family man, and uh, and you're doing it anyway, dude. And you're not, and you're not just you know regarding any of your responsibilities. And I think a lot of guys do it, and it sounds harsh, but it's true. It's kind of an excuse. It's re- it's resistance to doing what you want to do, and it's not disregarding your responsibilities. It's using them as an excuse. You know, right? And it, it's not easy, dude. No, yeah, it, it's I, you know, I don't, don't want to. I don't ever want to use it as an excuse because they're really, you know, like uh, I think uh, William, uh, by us, uh, William Fickner has his kids up here somewhere and stuff. And you see these, uh, they're, they're working actors like anybody else. You know, I'm, uh, and that's what I want to be. That's what I want to be. A working, he's a working actor, and, yeah. and out there, and and, um, and you know the 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 frustration that bore this commercial, you know, is uh, uh, basically out of, you know. I've had two auditions this year, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and you just want to get out there yourself, and, and you get got him. You know, <laughs> it's just like you work your ass off and you hustle and you hustle and you hustle and uh, you just, you just want to get out there and that's it. You know, you just want to get out there and you want to work and, and you just want uh, to go back to what we said and make it, uh, take it away from the actual physicals. You just want opportunity uh, to be able to maneuver through your goals mm-hmm. You know, that's what I find interesting. And, and the, the cool thing about movie making or films or acting and those things is that it still is an art form that will allow you to be able to break that barrier and go from the first floor to the 30th floor really quickly. Not that you ever want something like that, but you're able to move up. You don't have to climb the ladder like starting in the mail room and then walking up, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff no, like that. Really because listen, rules, if, it, if it's a, if it's a good idea and if it's something a producer's never heard before or somebody likes, they'll take it. Mm-hmm. And, or if you present them with that, they'll take it. They're like, Oh, good job. We'll take it. <laughs> if it's going to make us money, we'll do it. Exactly. Yeah. So it's one of the last businesses where you can actually do that. Yeah. So for that, there is hope, and you just keep on going through, and you just keep plugging away. So, I mean, I'm excited more than ever, and I feel more prepared than ever, you know, in, in every way. Yeah. So, I mean, when you see something like this uh, commercial, I'm happy as can be with it, you know. But I just, like you said, I, I'm a little too humble sometimes, and it has, it's probably been the detriment to some of the things that, the reason I might not have been more successful over the years. Maybe, but maybe, you know, maybe you weren't really ready either. It's It's one of these things, I don't know about you and it sounds like it maybe it could be different but for me you know there, there's a thing when you're when you're younger I mean I never got into doing what I do for uh, I'd like to say this and I think it's mostly true for validation right I really wanted to do things for myself it's right a, a need that I had for sure but what I did have uh, is a sense of my identity completely enveloped in it so mm-hmm. like in other words um this is, I am this, like I am an actor and this is all that I fucking care about. And this mm-hmm. is 
you know, this intense and I work my ass off and I do all these things every day to get better and better. And for years, you know, and I'll live like a hermit and do whatever to, to, you know, really out of balance. This is everything. So in other words, um, my whole identity was wrapped up. Like if you were, let's say in an unhealthy way, if you were, uh, let's say your identity was as a concert pianist or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and and you broke your hand really badly and you can never do it again, you'd probably kill yourself mm-hmm. because it's your identity. It's, you don't, that's all that you are. Right. So I had that. I did have mm-hmm. that when I was younger that I, that I don't have anymore. Mm-hmm. And it, it was, it was all I ate and slept and breathed. It was mm-hmm. everything, you know, mm-hmm. to the point where it's, it's mm-hmm. really, you know, life is not fun. You and, know, I mean, you and know, I'm not I mean, like that now. And I have a perspective now that I'm right. a little older that I feel that you do too in a different, maybe in a different way, but well, no, it's I like mean, a, a certain maturity where you're past that and, and you're ready for it. For sure. No, I mean, you know? absolutely. You know, I mean, I mean the way that, you know, to use an, an, a different analogy than you did, I always kind of put it back to sports cause I was an athlete mm-hmm. growing up, you know, and I played baseball. And then when you play baseball, uh, in order to be proficient at it, it's like anything in the world. It's like the 10,000 hour rule. You just spent time and effort and you um, chopped wood and carried water, as is an old saying mm-hmm. says, which is, you know, you you got to get used to the things that are going to make you good that are not fun to do, which is you got to stand over a three foot tee, put a ball on top of it and then whack it off mm-hmm. and then put another ball up there, stand a little bit further back, work on pushing it the other way, whack it off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a horrible way to say it, <laughs> but you know, that's an old hillbilly in the, <laughs> uh, you got to knock the sun bitch out of it. Uh, <clears throat> so anyway, so you, uh, you know, you just had to hit it and then you just had to do that over and over and over and hit, 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 hit. And in order to be good at group fielding around ball, it was, just feel the ground ball, feel the ground ball, feel the ground ball. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was one thing that I found difficult to translate over into being an actor in LA was you didn't have the same opportunities of teeing it up. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You, you could pay to go to acting school forever and ever and ever and say that you were with this acting coach or whatever and you could do all these small little plays and and do these things that make you no money and and or you do background and stand-in work to kind of just at least be on a movie set and be around the people that you want to be around and you know and and do something you really enjoy and then find out that you really do enjoy it Mm -hmm. you know you're like man i love it you know standing here and Mm -hmm. having guys put lights around me and stuff like that and oh move (laughs) over to your left a little bit hey curtis can you turn left and yeah for sure (laughs) you know i'll do that you know and stuff like that you know i've that a fun uh the whole point of making movies i find i love it i love being there and i love doing it and and that's the one thing that i find you know that is the hardest to deal with is not being to have that opportunity of hitting it off the tee which is why you, know? you came to the conclusion that to do, do, build my own tee <laughs> build your own fucking tee and then whack some bitch off um did you so speaking of whack that some bitch out of your way so, do, you know, you're so you're a guy, you know, that's cut from a certain cloth. We're from different parts of the country, right? But I think the class that we're from very is the similar. Same. I always like and, to tell people I'm redneck squared. Yeah, well, I'm <laughs> I'm kind of a nor- I guess a Northwest redneck, sort of a lumberjacky redneck. We're we're hicks, but a different I'm, kind of hick. I'm from 
uh, suburban Oklahoma City. You're an actual. You're a no. You're so an I'm Oki. from. I'm from Oklahoma, yeah. and I'm from. I mean, I grew up. I had a. Still. I had a small house. You know, three two two bedroom house, a three bedroom house that I grew, raised with uh, my mom, my dad, and three boys. So there's, and, there's, but my other half of the side of the family came uh, came from Arkansas, right. and the town my dad lives in today has the same population it had whenever he was a kid. Okay, and and they're just as. They're as hillbilly as they come. They're beautiful people. There's a certain certain culture, though, that that we come from. There's a certain, um, there's certain ethics about work, about who you are, about how to how to, you know, hold yourself and behave as a guy. Right. And whenever I say this too, my my, being that I was raised in the city, but my mother was from like Choctaw, Oklahoma, where. I mean, they were, I mean, my, my, my mother was literally a coat of many colors type of a girl, like the old Dolly Parton song where they, you know, her mother made her own jacket and kids at school would make fun of her. Mm. They, they were, you know, didn't have a whole lot of money and they lived outside the city of Choctaw, (laughs) which was a small city already (laughs) in 1946 when she was born. Yeah. You know, so it's like one of those things where you just had a different value system that, uh, you know, was put on you. They had as many flaws as anybody else. They, they love to drink and they, and they, and, and, uh, they love their opinions and, well, and, and they have a hard life and, well, that uh, can, that can, that can fuel, that can fuel a lot of your experience though. For man. sure. You know, oh, in absolutely. Your, in your work ethic. What do you think some of those values are that you, that you're mentioning? Do you, can, is it, is it, is it easy to articulate or some of these ways of being that, you know, let's say, here's what I'm getting at. Here, here's what I'm getting at. Like, I've been here a long time, in Los mm-hmm. Angeles a long time. And um, the culture that I grew up in, the guys that grew around, grew up around, this sort of thing, <laughs> it's a lot different. It's a lot different. And they're, they're a pretty tough breed of guys. For sure. And if they, you know, it's funny. It's it's it's. And I think it's in a weird way, it's a hindrance. And these guys love me and I love them. Mm-hmm. And, but there's like a weird thing where I almost feel like the conscience of these guys on my shoulder down here has kept me from maybe doing what I needed to do career-wise. The culture is so different here that I'm like, well, if these guys saw what I'm doing now, they'd kick my ass. Yeah, they don't understand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm doing something really L.A. right now or something. You know what I mean? Where it's like, and it's kind You're of- You're doing body it's, movements? Right. It's, it's, <laughs> but in a lot of ways, it's guided me in a way that I'm proud of and happy. But in some sure. ways, I think it's probably limited me a little bit. For sure. No, so, no, no. I felt but these the are the values thing. that I'm talking about. There's certain values where it's like, you're not going to do that shit, are you? What the fuck? You know, or, right. Or- yeah, I'm going to hold my fucking, I'm going to stand by my guns on this thing. Right, right. You know, what, it goes both ways or whatever the case may be. Right. And, uh, I mean, yeah, so how do you feel, do you, do you feel like it's helped or hindered you in any way? It's, those kind I of think, I think in some ways it's probably hindered me, but yeah. I, I don't want, I don't want ever to make you think that would be an excuse. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not that, and that's not why I would state it. It's just like, uh, like I said before, like whenever I would meet somebody like Mally Finn outside of this, I was always like. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bother. Yeah, what would you my know? buddies I mean, think of why me would doing I, this shit? But it's, but you know, I mean, maybe I'm, not literally that, but that that kind right, of you know, I mean, and, way that you grew up, you know, it's, right. it's there. Whether you think about it consciously or right. not, and and given a certain respect to people and stuff like that as well, it was always hard for me. You know, um, a, a buddy a buddy of mine who made it up through the sound business of Hollywood and stuff from the uh, from the rock side of it. He was a he was a music, m- musician, but he knew a lot about sound, so he ended up translating over and getting into sound for movies mm-hmm. and uh 
he was getting everybody's coffee and doing everything in his mid thirties and stuff that, you know, he never thought he'd be doing and eventually got really good at it and everything and blah, blah, blah. And whenever I first got here, when I met him, he gave me some good advice because I was always like, ah, I don't want to bug these people and I don't want to send my headshots in and I don't want to bother these people or write letters. He goes, man, if, or somebody might tell me to contact them, you know, Curtis yeah. contact me and, you know, and I'll help you out and, and, uh, you know, see, see that you get to the right people or something. He, he's like, you gotta keep, contacting him and i'm like well i already did once and, and, he, and he's like well but you got to contact him again because yeah. listen it's not that they don't like you it's that they are so busy they have no time for anything else and they've forgotten about you the minute you had the conversation so you reminding them is not making them angry you know Just, the very first guy i had on this episode on the show was a, a scottish actor named brian lark and he was in london mm-hmm. has fallen and he said something about how uh you know, and he came, and he's from, um, mm-hmm. um, shit, like a lower class it. kind of Scottish. Yeah, Scottish, I mean, Scottish yeah, he's you know he was originally going to be a cop, right? You know, he, so he was you know a different culture, but again, sort mm-hmm. of cut from the same cloth. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he said, you know, you, and he came up, you know, on his own and and worked his ass off and works ass off, and mm-hmm. he said, yeah, you know, he got a something to the effect of, uh, you got to keep bugging these people almost to the point where you think. It's it's a crazy nuisance. like it's yeah, too much. Like you, but and, and and that's always been the worst of me because it's like you know it's like uh, I'm in a position now where I have a job where I'm around people that uh, admire certain people and and I do security and uh, <laughs> it's hilarious to see people just gloat onto these. Do you want to not say where you were? You meant maybe you should. I, you should. I don't know if I do or not. That's like I won't say it. But, but it's, it's a, like, it's a famous know, place. Yeah, yeah. And I get with to a, lot see a lot of high-profile people. people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 I just find that I almost get embarrassed for the people whenever they're trying to connect with some successful person. Yeah. In such a short amount of time. Yeah, yeah. And I've never been good at that. That it makes me uncomfortable seeing somebody else do it. I'm yeah. like, ah, don't, dude. I know. I've seen it. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> no. But, oh. But on the on the, I know, dude. You I've know? Seen, but on the flip side, you you've met, um, and this is related to the ex- exact same thing as far as like you know, coming from a certain culture and, and uh, trying to you know do something in the arts or in this case it's movies specifically whatever. Like you've met, for example, I'll bring a name up like. Billy Bob Thornton, right? Who I'm a huge fan of, right? Uh, and he came from uh, an area where your dad's. He from, came right? from. He, uh, uh, I met Billy Bob Thornton because I was working on a, a movie, uh, uh, doing extra work or standing. I can't remember now. I think it was Primary Colors actually, and I was working on that. Oh yeah, I remember that. Okay, and, before you tell the story, I just want to say I'm, the reason why I bring I, I I asked to hear about this is because whether it's him or others, maybe there are others mm-hmm. too, but someone that you've met that maybe uh, came from a similar circumstance that made you feel like, oh, okay, I don't have to do anything fucking different. I don't have to pretend like I'm anything different. I need to embrace who the fuck I am to, you know, would that be a good example of someone that... Well, Billy Bob, for sure. I mean, because, I mean, the story was, I mean, it's a good example because, I mean... We just sat down, and if I remember it right, I mean, we I was I was at lunch, and he was at lunch, and I had been prior in the day talking to his assistant, and and his assistant noticed my accent, and I had like a cowboy hat on for the scene or something like that that I brought from my own closet, and uh, 
and uh, he commented on it and stuff, and and he started asking me where I was from, and I said, "Well, I'm from Oklahoma," and and uh, he goes, "Well, you don't sound like you're from Oklahoma," and I said, "Well, I'm I got some family in Arkansas and stuff like that too," and and he goes, "Where at in Arkansas?" and I said, "Water in Arkansas," and he goes, "Oh, cool," and he goes, "I'll tell Billy Bob you're from Arkansas. He likes to meet people from Arkansas." And I'm like, "I'm not from Arkansas. Yeah, I'm from Oklahoma," and he goes, "Okay, cool," and then so I let it go and three or four hours later I'm sitting there having lunch and then Billy Bob walks up and sits down next to me and he goes that's a cool hat you got there and just stroke up a conversation and he said I hear you're from Arkansas and I said nope not from Arkansas I'm from Oklahoma but my dad's from Arkansas and he's like Where, where's your dad at from Arkansas and I said Walden Arkansas and uh, most people don't know where it's from and he goes hmm I picked up my uncle from jail in Walden Arkansas <laughs> 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 and, I, and so we just sat back and had a conversation for like 45 minutes and he couldn't have been more pleasant and nice and, and everything. And we just talked about acting and, and, and he talked about his, uh, uh, his nerves getting up whenever he hears bad Southern accents oh, okay. by actors and stuff like uh-huh. that. And it made me kind of, maybe from other countries, re- breathe a little sigh of relief and go, Oh, I'm not crazy. You right, know? Right, right. <laughs> And so I was like, you know, so I was like, that's cool, man. And I said, so he was very nice. And, and, uh, you know, he gave me a lot of advice. Uh, but one of the advices he gave me was he goes, man, I never thought I'd be a writer, but I didn't come here to be a writer. And, um, I just couldn't get any parts. I didn't, couldn't get anything back to that again. And I was a Southerner and I couldn't get any Southern parts and, and, and then, or they wouldn't even give me a part because I was a cop. Like the cop in LA couldn't have a Southern accent, right. you know? Sure. You know, I, I moved here when I was 21. <laughs> I could have a Southern accent sure. and be a LAPD cop, you know? So it's like one of those things he said, you know, it's like, so I had to write my own stuff and he's like, you know, the one thing that you have an advantage over everybody else here is you come from a place that these people have never come. They don't know anything about. Mm. And then we started talking about where my dad's there from and, and everything. And I was like, oh man, it makes a huge difference. And he's like, yeah, those people don't know that world and nobody knew my world. So I wrote my world. And I, and I wrote where I came from. So, I mean, he goes, you got to write your own stuff, even though you don't want it. <laughs> Cause yeah. I told him how difficult it was for me to sit down and punch yeah. things up and stuff. And you know, it's, it's just something I've not really gravitated toward, but I want to do, you, you know? have to, you have to now you have to I remember. Uh, yeah. When I first moved here, I was working at a gym called crunch and at the time it's still there, but at the time it was kind of this sort of celebrity hangout. Remember when Robert Downey Jr. got out of jail? He showed up there. You know, guys like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, and I talked to some people. I remember talking to just a couple people that are not. Well, John Favreau was one. Mm-hmm. This is before he ever directed anything. He actually hadn't. I think it wasn't long after Swingers, actually. For sure. So he was just acting, and and uh, it was him and Gavin O'Connor, who is a director who's actually become a big one now. He just did a small movie called Tumbleweeds back then, a little Sundance movie. But he did uh, Warrior and uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Miracle, the one with right, 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 Kurt right, Russell, right, right, right. the hockey sure. and all. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's pretty a big one now. But back then, I talked to both of these guys. I was like, hey man, you know, whatever. We talk every day, and I, I just wanted some advice. Like, How the fuck do we do this? You know. And there's a little Starbucks right by the gym, so uh, just went down and hung out and had a coffee. And remember, with both of these guys, it was the exact same thing. I said, dude, you just got to, I remember Gavin uh, Connor saying something about how um, he uh, he was sleeping on his brother's couch when he was writing Tumbleweeds and, uh, you know, he didn't have anything. And he was like, mm. he, he was uh, he started out as an actor, if I remember right. He was actually in that movie too. He was really good in that movie. Um, 
I'll probably put a trailer up for it on the blog or whatever. But um, he said, yeah, man, he got, he wrote this thing and he was like, I just, he didn't know what he was doing. It's not like you have to get permission to do something. And that's what we were talking about earlier. We, you like, know, we feel like, well, I don't know. I never went to school for this. For sure. Fuck that shit. Yeah. Which you, you did, so. Do it. I did. <laughs> but I ended, eventually I did, yeah. But I mean, you know, but you don't. You, you well, don't, that's why. You don't, have to, you don't have to wait for someone to give you fucking permission or to choose you for anything. Yeah. And that's what these guys were telling me then. And it took me a while for it to really, for me to is that suck up you, enough to really actually Is that when you started wanting to be a director and, and, and do um, that? Yeah, yeah. I, my original, I, my whole idea originally was just to create opportunities for myself as an actor. For sure, for sure. I mean, it evolved a lot since then too. But right. I mean, um, but that, the, both of these guys said that basically the same thing. Dude, you just have to, you have to write because no one gives a shit about Right. About you until you, 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 but if you write something, you have something that they'll, they know they can make money from, or then right. you can do it. But um, I like the idea anyway of um, even if you, even if you did, let's say get, get out a lot. Let's say you got out on a lot of auditions instead mm-hmm. of a couple of year. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're out a couple of day, or you're still. I, I don't like it. I don't like the idea of. Putting your own destiny in other people's hands for sure. Waiting for someone to choose you, I right. Like you're the little kid with 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 the limp and recess. That's the last that's picked for kickball or something. <laughs> right, you know right, I mean? right. You know, it's not. It's it's. Uh, I, I like the idea of doing your own thing, and and uh, so it took me a while to really pick that up and run with it, but it sunk in deep, and it's the same message that you're going to hear from anybody for sure. Yeah, and uh, but it's a better message. It's mm-hmm. a better one than trying to. Align yourself with what you think um, uh, is the most marketable, what you think will sell you the best. You know, you are who you are. If you tried to be a slick James Bond guy, there's no fucking way you'd yeah. ever work. Yeah. But you as who you are doing your own thing, like what this commercial is, for sure. Perfect. Perfect. For sure. And so, I, I, you know, I just I just think it's kind of cool. I'm, I'm glad we got around to talking about this and about um, and about doing it regardless of your circumstances. Like, yeah. you, like you're, you are, you know, you're a family man. Well, for example, hey, I, yeah. Thank I don't know you, whatever, because you were the one pros. that actually started. I mean, the, I mean, you were the one saying this exact same thing to me then. You just got to do it, dude. Let's, let's do a date. I did kick your uh, ass a little bit. Yeah, and, uh, let's do a date. I was like, you got to I've kicked your ass in the past. So it was a, a return. Yeah, nah. <laughs> no, but obviously I did it because I wanted you to do for this sure. thing. And, but be, I, I did it also because I know what it's, I understand for sure. your shoes. And mm-hmm. I know for me. It took it took actually setting a date and burning the bridges behind you. You know, for sure. And there's no turning back. Mm-hmm. You have to do it. So you put it out there, and it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to fail. So we got to do this, right? <laughs> for <laughs> this sure. You know, and 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 with that in mind, you know, when something like the art commercial, you know, I mean, that commercial, I mean, geez, I mean, we couldn't have had a better alignment of the universe yeah. on the day of and everything. But that was also because of good pre-production and working hard and having a whiskey over at a bar and <laughs> yeah, we did it a couple of times, <laughs> have a couple of times where we really kind of flesh things out. And I'm telling you exactly what my stresses are. God, I, God damn it. I don't want this to be stupid. Yeah. You know, I don't want yeah. this to be dumb and I don't want this to be contrived. I want this to be something that looks real and that we can sell to somebody. And I think we accomplished that. I think we did too. Like yeah. I hope so. Well, you guys will be the judge, but I, I'm really glad um, that we did it and we're happy with what we did. And so, now what, man? For you, do you have what, do you have uh, now what cooking in the back of your mind? I 
I got to sit down and write my Western. <laughs> yeah. That one's next. I have a... Well, you're on this podcast saying it now, dude. So you basically just did what I, we just talked about. And you yeah. Put it out. Now you got to put it on the universe and you got to do it. Well, and now now you just got to sit down. And yeah, you're fucked. Had now this, you got to write it. I have had it, I've had a Western idea for a long, long time where it's just like, I know it's it'll work. I know it, it'll, it'll align with uh, what people haven't seen. Nobody's seen a Western like it. And, you know, it's got its own... <clears throat> it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've told it to you. Yeah, no, I know what it is. Yeah, it, it, it's a good idea, and I gotta, I gotta really sit down and write that and flesh it out, and and just put it out there, and and not not as a vehicle for me, just to do something that try to get something written and out there that I think will work. It'd be yeah. nice to be able to make it. Yeah, it'd be nice. To well, be able now to make you have it. to at least write it. But you gotta write that one. Yeah. So, is there anything that is there anything that I haven't asked you that you're kind of hoping I'd talk about or ask, or is there anything you want to ask me or talk about? I don't know. No, I mean, uh, I would say this. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I don't think uh, I, I couldn't be more happy where I'm at in my life, and I couldn't be more uh, satisfied um, right now. I mean, you know, I mean, I think everything in life comes right by for a reason. You know, I mean, and and you. Your path is your path is not set, and every day it's like a pinball machine. In some ways, you kind of get knocked one way and knocked another, and you don't feel like you you had a you had a you had a path in front of you, and you kind of got punched a couple of different ways. Whether that be you know, I mean, uh, an injury or you know, I mean, uh, a fear of doing something. But in my case, I I've I've really been driving hard over like twenty years, and I just want to work that's all I want to do. And, and, you know, I just want to audition and and get out there and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, perform. And, you know, in doing that, part of that's driven me to be more of of an artist and a writer. And it's hard to do, (laughs) you know, being that it's uh, something that I feel foreign of. So, but I'm looking forward to it. I love that, man. Well, I think we're going to, I think we're going to wrap it up. I love this talk. Cool. But we think we've been on for a little while and uh <laughs> but maybe we can uh maybe we can do it again sometime. Maybe we can pick up where for we sure. left off at some point. And um just so everybody knows we're we're gonna make a little attempt to see if we can uh to sell this thing to Harley. For sure. Right? Yeah, we've and, already uh, uh I'm doing some other things too that I've mentioned before that I'm working on right now. So long story short, we may work mm-hmm. again in a similar capacity hopefully mm-hmm. in the near future and if that happens we'll obviously be talking again for sure thanks for coming because it's man. all about it's a, you've been on talking about me but it's about cameras too you you've got a lot of stuff in the fires as well so you're always working hard and trying you trying. Know, it's good yeah. stuff so uh here's to that happening thanks dude, for sure seriously thanks for being on this has actually been it's kind of funny we have mics in our hand. It's just been a really just a cool talk. Actually, just catching. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, well, it's backyard. like you know, it's like you know, it's, it's kind of a unique thing being uh, doing something like this or a podcast. Whenever you you, it forces you to sit down and have a good conversation with your friend, regardless. Even though you've had great conversations with your friend before, you have to just be mindful of it, and 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 you can just speak the truth and and uh, and be heard. That's cool. I'm gonna put all your stuff up so. In case you don't know, triumphanddisasterblog.com. And uh, this has been Curtis Nelson. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks cool. a lot. No worries, brother. 
So that was Curtis Nelson, you guys. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did, even though it was fueled with a little bit of scotch. Um, I really, I really like that talk. And uh, if you did too, and if you like what we're doing here, if you could just take a second, and I'm going to keep saying this at the end of every episode, to just do like a, even a one-line rating and review on iTunes, it'll really help a lot. As of the last time I looked, I think we had like 13. We're a pretty new show here, but I think we had like 13 ratings and reviews, which is not a lot. And uh, I'd like to uh, I'd like to get 100 if I can. So I'm not asking a lot. I'm just asking if you could just go on there and say, hey, like the show, whatever you feel about it, give you a rating review, and it'll just help Apple to uh, promote the show and keep us going. And if you do like it a lot, there's also a little button on the Triumph and Disaster blog, every single one of them on the bottom for PayPal. I do this thing on my own time, on my own dime. And uh, so... If you want to donate a little bit there, I'd really appreciate it. We're going to have some really, really cool guests coming up. I'm not going to say who they are. And uh, it looks like we might have a continuing two or three part or maybe even more series with Tony Kay, the um, director of American History X. A lot of people got a lot of feedback from that. A lot of people love that one. And um, a couple more great people, like I mentioned before. So make sure to subscribe on iTunes or on YouTube or wherever so you don't miss anything. And thanks for listening to Triumphant Disaster. We'll see you next time.